Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm Brian Dixon, Assistant Director of Advocacy and Student Financial Services at Nakubo. I'm joined today by Colleen Campbell from the Center for American Progress, where she is Director for Post-Secondary Education. Good to have you here, Colleen. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, so we actually met um, in late 2018 at the Department of Education's Federal Student Aid Training Conference at a session on this very topic on FSA's payment vehicle. And we chatted about it, and I knew I wanted to continue the conversation. So uh, this is perfect, and I'm really glad that you could join us. Uh, so if, if, if you could, uh, Colleen, if we were in an elevator and you had to give your 20-second uh, background speech, what, would, what might that sound like? Yeah. Uh, so I started my career actually as a financial aid administrator at a college. So uh, I've worked closely with our bursar's office. And since 2014, I've worked in D.C., focusing on federal student aid policy. Um, and typically that is in the realm of loans, but um, it's everything from Pell Grants to campus-based aid. Whatever they throw at you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the payment vehicle, I wanted to take a moment to talk kind of big picture on what FSA, and, and when I say FSA, I'm referring to the Office of Federal Student Aid, what they're trying to do. So they're in this process of going to what they're calling the next generation or next gen of FSA. And one of the components is this next-gen partner participation and oversight, uh, the goal of which is to streamline their existing operations by developing this single point of entry for data submission, allowing staff at schools to perform day-to-day activities, and they're also intending for it to provide access to compliance information to schools. Now, the second part, and the reason we're here today to talk, is um, the inclusion of this My Student Aid app that they announced at the 2017 uh, training conference. So the idea here is that students and families can go in this app and and they can browse schools kind of like they do now with the College Navigator and get get all kinds of facts and statistics on these these schools they might attend. Uh, There's checklists of things they need to do as they're preparing to to enroll in these schools. Now they can actually complete their FAFSA on this app. And it has some interesting features where um, uh, students and families can hand off uh, different um, tasks that would normally be on this physical FAFSA or if they were online um, and they have their different logins and everything. And the idea of which, again, is to make this a lot easier for folks to complete this form, get access to federal student aid dollars. So that brings us to another component. It's this payment vehicle. And, and, and right, Colleen, so this isn't something new. Like I said, they pitched it in, in 17 at, at the conference. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit of history on this payment vehicle, and then we'll get, kind of get into what it is, what it does, and some 
some some some interesting parts of it, some parts that leave a lot of us scratching our heads. But uh, if you could just touch uh, a bit on on how we got here, and then we'll talk about what it actually is. <laughs> sure. So uh, as you and your listeners know, when a student gets financial aid, both from the federal government, the state, the school, from any sources, uh, and it exceeds the amount that they're billed, they are issued a refund. Um, there were some regulations in 2015 that are typically referred to by the exciting name of cash management regulations. Oh, yes. And and uh, those regulations uh, really sought to reduce the fees that were levied on students and to kind of push students in the direction more of direct deposit rather than uh, credit cards that might, uh, or excuse me, debit cards that might be assessing students more fees uh, and expose them to marketing and other aspects that are not typically considered to be consumer friendly. So in uh, 2017, then uh, Chief Operating Officer of Federal Student Aid, Wayne Johnson, said that they were looking to introduce a card. At that time, it was unclear if it was a prepaid card or a debit card that would allow students to receive their federal student aid refund on it. And then they could use that to buy all kinds of things. He did say, though, at that time that schools would be able to control when, where and how students spent their financial aid money, uh, which raised some concerns for both advocates and financial aid administrators. And also talked a little bit about being able to kind of nudge students in the direction of not making certain purchases um, through notifications via the app. This is when this first came to my attention. I was pretty concerned. Um, and then Federal Student Aid released kind of a vision for this pilot program and emphasized, one, that it's a pilot, so it won't be rolled out to all schools. It's just a subset of schools that are looking to participate at the beginning to see if it's a feasible uh, program. But they also said essentially that this was going to be cost neutral because whatever financial services institution that provides the card in partnership with federal student aid would uh, essentially pay the government to participate because it pr would provide them with the ability to create a lifelong relationship with students. Uh, this is also kind of disturbing from a consumer advocacy perspective. Right. right. So, so. And that was going to be one of my questions. You know, why would why would a bank want to do this? And and when you look at federal, the Office of Federal Student Aid and the the amount of loans that they're generating and collecting, uh, the dollars that are going through FSA, right? They would be like a top five bank in the Absolutely. country if they were a bank, indeed. Um, so so the marketing aspect is is what's in it for. Um, for whoever you know might be selected to to partner with FSA on this, um, what's 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 in it for schools? Is it just is it that it, this is a fantastic bank account for students? Sure. So there is you know somewhat of an argument that students may be unbanked, and so this provides them with easy access to a debit card that they can use to purchase all kinds of things. Uh, makes you know buying books online easier. All all types of things like that. With the card, it also is promising that students will not be assessed fees while they're in school. Uh, absolutely no fees whatsoever, no overdraft fees, no account maintenance fees, absolutely nothing, which is a pretty unique aspect to a campus debit card. Typically, they hold some kinds of fees, even though the cash management regulations sought to reduce those. Right. So so uh, I picked up on something you said there. 
when they're in school. So, so what happens when a student would leave an institution that was a student who had this, this card, this, this account? Yeah, uh, it's unclear. The FSA does not uh, talk about that in their kind of proposal and they don't talk about it in their formal solicitation either. So it's troubling. You know, we've seen in the past certain card companies have offered lower fees while students are in school and then really jack up those fees the second they leave. And, you know, especially for students who are vulnerable, students who may kind of cycle in and out of school, uh, this can be a huge problem and really lead to some financial difficulties. Mm. Okay. So then you, you talk about the, the credit balance refund process is kind of driving that. And, you know, that's when their, their federal aid exceeds these charges. Uh, is, is this only going to be available to students who are participating in the federal student aid program? Yes. So this is where there are some kind of costs and benefits for schools that may want to participate. Um, the reason that FSA says that they're interested in this pilot is that some schools can't afford to have their own card plans and partnerships with banks that the negotiation process is uh, too burdensome. Uh, there's a host of reasons why schools might not be able to do this. And so FSA says that it's making this resource available to the schools and therefore to uh, their students, which is a benefit. But one of the things that could really be challenging for schools, if not all of their students are receiving uh, federal financial aid, is that students can't use this card if they're not receiving any Title IV aid. So that makes things really complicated if, say, only half of your students are receiving a Pell Grant or a loan or something like that, and the other half of your students are either paying out of pocket or are, you know, just receiving scholarships from the institution. So then they those those students wouldn't have access to this great Account. Exactly. They don't have access to the card. Um, and if the school really felt strongly about students having access to a card, they would need another card agreement in addition to the one that is offered by federal student aid. Okay. So, and then looking at it from the other uh, side, um, can someone who is participating uh, in receiving federal student aid dollars, can, can they put non-federal um, student aid dollars? So can mom and dad transfer money over so that they can pay rent or buy food and stuff like that? Yeah, FSA got really ambitious with this. So not only is it a kind of card that is able to receive balances from the institution, but the student can load money onto it. Uh, students can send money between each other, kind of like Venmo. And, uh, you know, other parents, anybody, pay employers through uh, kind of electric electronic funds uh, disbursements can all put money on this card. So it really functions like a bank account, which, you know, to me, I'm concerned in part because really this is an explicit endorsement of a financial institution by federal student aid. You know, federal student aid is essentially saying to students, we are co-branding with this bank because they are an institution that we trust to transmit hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, federal student aid funds every year. So they're they're in this pilot or they're working on developing this pilot program right. now. Uh, they were soliciting um, offers from banks and other companies, and they they're eventually going to develop this this kind of app, uh, this account, and then schools. They're going to ask FSA is going to actually ask uh, colleges and universities to sign up to be volunteer institutions to work. Uh, to see if this if this works, yep. and and my understanding is that um, it's it's voluntary for any 
student at one of these schools that FSA will eventually pick. Um, I know they're a little behind on schedule, but it seems like they're they're moving forward. You know, it's voluntary now for a student that wants to participate in this at a pilot implementing school. Say they move forward. Pilot goes well. They move forward. Roll this thing out. Will it still be voluntary for these students to participate and use this account? You know, right now with the current cash management rules that you mentioned and, and how they govern how these refunds are issued, there's a whole, and this was part of the the rulemaking process from several years ago that you mentioned, there's this whole idea of student choice. And it was to present the options to receive your credit balance refund in a neutral manner. You were to let uh, schools are to list uh, students current existing account as the uh, first option in that list. No option is to be pre-selected. So how does that all fit with what, what they're looking to develop with this account? Federal student aid, in theory, should have to follow its own regulations. But um, federal student aid can also choose to not enforce their regulations uh, in relation to their program. And if they're kind of looking for ways to uh, compel students to participate, they may not make it voluntary for students. That would obviously uh, create some strange kind of conflicts of interest between federal student aid and students. But it would also put a lot of burden on institutions that have, you know, had some card agreements for years with, uh, you know, credit unions or national banks that they trust and that they feel are doing a good job for students. And now they would have to either renegotiate or, uh, you know, figure out ways to disentangle themselves from those other uh, financial institutions. Mm. So uh, I I don't want to presume to read your thoughts, (laughs) but it sounds like you have some concerns here with this. But before we jump into those, what's What's good? What's appealing about uh, uh, this account and, and what FSA and the Department of Education, what they're trying to do? Yeah, you know, the FSA is looking essentially to provide a fee-free vehicle to students. And I, you know, think that that effort is great. But I think that we've really seen that the cash management regulations are working pretty well and that the Department of Education can enforce them. So, you know, we may be putting another option on the table, but really there are a lot of options for students already that offer really good terms for campus-based checking accounts. Um, And we saw a report from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that was written early last year, but was only published to the public uh, via a Freedom of Information Act request um, in December. And that report showed essentially that students are paying much less in fees than they used to, but that there are still some bad actors in the system. And FSA, therefore, has the information that it needs to really crack down on those banks. And Wells Fargo was the one in particular that was um, Mm -hmm. shown to be charging pretty egregious uh, fees and also to be paying institutions for use of the card. Um, And FSA really can take action on that. And so can the CFPB. And so it's a little concerning, uh, you know, that FSA is trying to kind of make the straw man argument that um, there absolutely has to be a federal vehicle because there are no private options on the market. Okay. So then I guess that's a good segue. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the question was, you know, 
uh, uh, what's appealing, but uh, no, I, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, it's fine. Um, so let's jump right in. So yeah. you, you kind of hinted earlier at some of, some of your concerns and, and you even, you, we talked about some of these at, uh, at the conference in Atlanta late last year, but, uh, if you had to pick one or two key ones, what might those be? Ooh, so my <laughs> big one is, uh, one that I haven't mentioned yet, and it's that federal student aid says in their solicitation, both their proposal and their formal uh, kind of procurement solicitation, that they would be able to receive student spending data uh, related to this debit card. So essentially, uh, when you scan your card at a grocery store, the credit card company uh, knows what you're purchasing. Um, mm. And your uh, credit card company company also knows, you know, and puts on your bank statement that you spent money at Giant or ShopRite or Kroger or wherever um, you're shopping that day. And essentially, those transactions get grouped into what's called merchant category codes. This is how you receive things like rewards points on your credit card for uh, purchasing airline tickets or shopping at a certain store. Now, these merchant category codes, there's hundreds of them, but uh, they roll up into these classification buckets. And essentially what FSA is looking to do is to collect information based on merchant category codes for where students are spending their money. Mm. This is not just federal student aid money, this is all of their money. And so we would they would be able to see if students are spending money on campus or off campus, if they're spending money at, um, you know, hair salons or uh, clothing stores or the campus bookstore. Um, they'd really have a lot of insight into the spending habits of students. One, this is a privacy concern, clearly. Um, but yes. two, I think that the other concern is that there's kind of been this narrative that students are wasting their financial aid money or they're squandering it on luxuries. Uh, Wayne Johnson even had the gall, I'll say, oh. to um, shots fired, um, had the gall to say uh, that students were, you know, spending their student loan money on tattoos uh, when he first introduced the program. And I think that this is something that we've heard uh, over the years that students are the ones who are, uh, it's their fault that they're in debt. And so, um, you know, I think that there are certain folks in Congress and also certain folks in the Department of Education now that are interested in restricting the money that is given to students. You know, colleges have um, felt that it's important to be able to kind of, you know, counsel students away from borrowing. And one of the rationales is that we just really don't know what students are spending their money on. And this is a way for the Department of Education to collect information on mm. that. And, and I think another uh, uh, concern that was raised at this listening session at the, at the conference was then, might if this if this account is restricted only to title four students then presumably the bank or company whoever is partnered with the department might then be able to tell who's a title four student and who's exactly. not and sharing that information as well yeah exactly and there's you know clearly issues uh there's privacy issues with folks not ever people don't want other people to know that they're getting a Pell Grant or that they're borrowing a student loan. You know, you may not want your bank to have uh, kind of more detailed information on your federal financial aid receipt. So that, you know, and that 
that can also be used to market products to those students. And so, you know, if they see that a student's receiving an unsubsidized loan, they may say, oh, this student doesn't have doesn't have any financial need. Let's market them a credit card because they could be a more credit worthy student than a student who's receiving, for example, a Pell Grant. So what is what is the department's response been to these concerns? Have they have they responded? Yeah. When I talk to folks at uh, federal student aid, you know, they clarify that they're not receiving individual student data. They're receiving aggregate data. Um, and they also tell me that, you know, well, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't restrict students aid. We wouldn't use this information in such a nefarious way. And I think that my concern is just that it opens the door to that possibility. And we really don't have any kind of uh roadblocks to or even, you know, barriers that uh, kind of guide the Department of Education in this type of activity. So so what's the solution? What, what, is it just eliminate that data collection? What, what can what can the department and FSA do to, to get this right, to make it a useful uh, financial tool for students? Sure. I think that the data collection would be, you know, my number one, um, you know, you need to get rid of that. You need to ensure that federal student aid will never receive any kind of student data as part of this pilot. Um, you know, for me to be really comfortable, that would have to be written into statute <laughs> um, because the Department of Education can always rewrite its regulations. Um, but I also, you know, re- feel really strongly that uh, they would need to communicate that fees need to be in line with kind of the market after students leave school so that they're, you know, not being kind of fleeced by this company that ends up getting the contract. I also, you know, have concerns about federal student aid partnering with the financial institution. And so, you know, it would it would be kind of hard for me to get behind a program like this that uh, is a partnership between federal student aid and a bank. Colleen. uh, (laughs) Not to be a downer. No, no. This has been tremendously uh, informative. Um, uh, Thank you so much. Tell, uh, if you could, tell folks uh, where where they can find you. Sure. I'm usually um, being similarly blunt on Twitter. You can (laughs) find me at C-O-L-L-E-C-A-M-P, so call E-CAMP. Um, and you can find all of my work on www.americanprogress.org. Oh oh uh, Fantastic. Well, again, Colleen, thank you so much for coming here and joining us today for this, this issue of Makubo in brief. Um, I, hope, I hope it was uh, pleasant for you. Um, we'd uh, love to have you back at any time, but thanks, thanks so much again. Thanks for having me, Brian. This is a lot of fun. 